Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare that seeks to get to the heart of the issues facing the health and social care system by speaking to leaders about how we can truly enable the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahel Mirza, and the health and social care workforce has really been out of the news. Extreme crisis, wellness, burnout, and perennial shortages. It was 75 years ago that the health secretary, Anurin Bevan, stated that there was a crisis in terms of shortage of nursing. So it's now perhaps time to think differently and to act differently. And my guest today absolutely is asking us to do that. Michael Minucha, Chief Executive of Future You, uh, delighted to have you with uh, us here on Voices of Care and welcome. It's great to be here. Pleasure. It, it's a global issue. Uh, the shortage of healthcare workforce. Um, the World Health Organization has reported uh, in April at a convention in Geneva, 10 million is the projected shortfall. Yeah, 10 million. And I guess that's perhaps the backdrop behind the vision of Future You and why you're here to tell us about how training and development can be done differently. Yeah, so we saw that 10 million number and we know that hundreds of thousands in the UK, in the US were short a million nurses and thought that we absolutely have to do something differently. We have to try something that's a little bit out there because the status quo is what's gotten us into this position that we've got a global crisis on our hands. And it seems to be one that's been here for for decades. Just looking at the UK, you've alluded to that 124,000 vacancies in the NHS. In social care, it's even larger, 165,000, with a huge uh, increase year to year. The government has set its stall out and um, its political future, perhaps, to some extent, in training more doctors, training more nurses with some ambitious targets. Will that be sufficient in terms of addressing some of these challenges? It's a great start. It's it's fantastic to see that from the government. I'm concerned that we're going to be putting an even greater burden on the nurses and care workers that know what they're doing to train these new people. And we know that burnout is a major issue right now. Now we're gonna be asking that same staff to take on even more people in addition to their regular responsibilities when they're likely already short-staffed. So what's the solution? You've asked us to be a little bit out there. You've been on record uh, in your statements about uh, uh, being iconoclastic, um, perhaps crazy is a better way to put it. Um, And someone from a tech background in disruption, uh, FBI, prior to that, what brings you to this healthcare space? So the thing that drew me here, I care most about, can we bring really disruptive technologies to parts of the workforce that need it, that have actual use cases that make sense where they need the best possible technology. And when there are groups, like a lot in the care sector, that don't get the best things, don't get the most helpful advancements, I care a lot about solving those problems. We know that there's a crisis. In particular, Michelle Gorange, New Cross's chief operating officer, told me that if it wasn't for the bursary, she wouldn't have been able to get into nursing. And as a result, she wouldn't have started New Cross. And so when there was a reduction in the bursary, she was looking at this like, this doesn't make any sense. We have this crisis and we're going to be asking people to take on tens of thousands of pounds of debt to get a career that we need desperately in care. At the same time, Stephen Patrick, New Cross's chief executive officer, was looking at the convergence of a bunch of experiential and explosive new technologies, virtual reality, augmented reality, and artificial intelligence, and thought, hey, is there an opportunity for these things to come together and for us to build something that takes advantage of new technology to deliver free education that makes up for the fact that people are being asked to spend tens of thousands of pounds out of pocket to get an education and 
deliver that same quality of education for free. Now, the numbers show that uh, in the UK, at least, to train a nurse, it's £60,000, £500,000 to train a consultant. And I want to go back to that four-letter word beginning with F that you just mentioned. This is all going to be done for free because uh, that's going to be something that people are going to have a slight challenge wrapping their head around it. So if you can expand upon the philosophy, which I think you've touched upon a little, uh, and the practical commercial reality behind that. The, the philosophy is that these are really important careers that we need in society. We need more of them than we have today. We have to change the calculus for people to get into care. We have to make it easy for them. And something that I've heard from uh, nurses and care workers a lot is they're passionate. They care so much. They're willing to do the work. They're willing to spend time upskilling themselves and getting educated. They just have realities and bills to pay. One woman I was speaking with wanted to be a paramedic. She said it was her dream job. I asked, well, why, why haven't you done it? She said, it costs 10,000 pounds and I've got bills to pay. I've got two kids. I would work nights and weekends to be able to do that, but I just, I can't, I can't make it a reality. So our approach is let's use technology to bring down the cost, to bring up the quality because it's stuff that we wouldn't have been able to do even five years ago and make people that are already willing to put their lives on hold to get a credential, get a certification, to, to work in care, give them the opportunity to, to follow through on that dream and then bring that energy into the workforce. And I guess that um, impediment, that commercial, uh, financial impediment, which you've talked about in more advanced economies, is accentuated many times in developing nations where the shortages are perhaps even more acute. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love about what we're trying to do is there's no reason why it has to be restricted by any border. There's learning that we can get from the entirety of the international health community. And bringing those people together with technology is something that we can do right now that wouldn't have been possible just a few years ago. And it's a bridge, I think, between ed tech and med tech is what you're talking about exactly, here. Yeah. And, and, and how will that work in practice? If you can expand a little bit about on what's, what's going to be on offer and how, uh, without going into too much esotericism right now, how will that work on a practical day-to-day level for people who are already in the, in the uh, healthcare profession and also those that are aspiring to be so? So... Another thing that I've heard from people in care is you go in expecting to be a lifelong learner and you're just hoping that the training isn't mind-numbing and you're happy when it's engaging. My hope is that we can make all the training engaging, relevant, timely, and that means there's a lot of content requirements. Well, there's new technologies with generative AI coming out that are going to enable us to make more content faster that's relevant that's going to then engage people and be able to assess them in ways that are a lot more sophisticated than a multiple choice test where where you know that people are guessing some percentage of the time and be able to make those assessments align with what the job is actually going to be like, what they're going to be expected to do on a regular basis and help them be more prepared when they step into those, those roles. One thing that I am really excited about with VR and AR in particular is that mistakes are free. So you can go through and you can practice things on your own time and in a place that you know that there's not a a problem if I make a mistake. Then, because any in-person training time is really precious, we're looking to complement that. We're not trying to replace it. But let's make that in-person training time an opportunity for you to demonstrate your mastery of a skill versus the first time that you're walking through it. 
And in terms of the development, you say there's been uh, exponential uh, increase in capability technologically, uh, digitally, and you're building a team around that to be able to deliver this at pace and scale. Exactly. Yeah. The advancements that have been made recently, I think there's plenty in the news, right? The way that those are going to get integrated in the care environment, integrated in the education environment, that's what I'm really excited about. There's a lot of models that are going to need to be open sourced because this is care. You have to understand how they work. It can't be a black box. And that's a lot of what's happening right now. So we're going to be working with open source models, ones that are transparent, where we'll know, hey, this is why we graded someone this way. This is why we made that assessment so that it can be aligned with uh, things like skills for care so that we can understand what was the motivation that went into this evaluation and make that really understandable and effective. Now, obviously, there's plenty of training and education going on at the moment. If we're looking at the UK's for now, uh, NHS, social care, um, trusts have their own learning management systems and providers have that. How does this sit with the existing provision? What did you find in terms of learning management systems uh, in terms of being able to deliver this type of care in the way that actually can add most value? We found a lot of limitations, and that's part of why we're creating something that's more modular and able to fit in with what everyone has going that's a little bit different. The key is that a lot of the established systems aren't built with the future in mind. They aren't built to be able to integrate things like these content creation tools that use generative AI, that use VR, different things like that. So we are going to be able to find a way to, to meet systems where they are and with the needs that they have for data, with the needs that they have for tracking, but do it from a standpoint and a baseline that we're planning on these experiences that are really immersive and effective to be built in from the ground up. And collaboration, you've talked about open source, transparency. Um, in terms of the business model, you're providing this for free to, to, to learners. Um, who are you going to be partnering with? Who are your customers? There, There's going to be people interested in this extraordinary opportunity in terms of a technological innovation, but from a practical collaboration point of view, how will this translate into bringing more carers and professionals into the workplace for the people who are providing the care? So, what I'm hoping we're going to be able to do is be a career partner for people in care and help them get from one stage of their career to the next. We know that career progression, the lack thereof, is, is one of the main reasons why people want to leave care, mm -hmm. want to go somewhere else. So being a personal tutor that helps them get from one stage of their career to the next, that helps them get into uh, the trust that they want to work in, maybe with the, the hours they want to be able to work in a certain specialization, to map those journeys out and work with hospital systems, work with uh, places internationally, work with NHS trusts, and even from the smallest home care provider that maybe just need one or two people every once in a while to the, the entirety of the NHS, understand what their needs are and then help upskill the workforce to meet those needs. Now, this is very important because um, health education, uh, England's budget, and it's obviously merged now with health, with NHS England, uh, that's stalled pretty much over the last 10 years. Uh, we've had the announcement from the government in April uh, this year of the halving of the budget from 500 to 250 million for training in social care. So this is coming at a very important time. And do you feel that the uh, openness in terms of collaboration, because the learning you're talking about, is it credentialed? Are people going to be able to follow particular pathways? Yes, absolutely. We're, we're doing everything aligned to, to skills for care. And there is a real 
differentiator I think that we're going to have is in making everything that we're doing accredited eventually. Something that I think is really crucial is that we give everyone an opportunity that we democratize these capabilities and these credentials and make them available to people where they are. We know that there's a cost of living crisis and we know that different places have, um, with higher cost of living, have a harder time filling roles. Different places that are in a more rural setting have a harder time filling roles. My hope is that we can be a partner for people that are already in those communities that live there, that want to be involved in care, want to get a greater capability that's accredited and signed off on, help them get that. Um, and you've talked about it, obviously, your own background in terms of the United States, um, the shortage of uh, all variety of nurses and social care workers, it has been something that's been increasing and well attested over the last few years. Absolutely. And it's only getting worse, right? Why would we think that everything that got us into this situation over the last decade plus would be the ways to get us out? We are, we are far past if we just tighten things up, optimization problem, we have to start thinking about things that are radically different, things that are 10 times better than the status quo to be able to get ourselves out of this. And you talked earlier, of course, the burdens on the current providers of care and training, uh, including the healthcare professionals themselves. Um, the NHS staff survey came out in March this year, finding you know record numbers uh, saying that they're suffering from burnout because of work-related uh, challenges. That's an important element as part of your offering and support for healthcare professionals in terms of supporting their well-being. Yeah, so everything that we've done is from the ground up focused on nurses, carers, and doctors, and understanding what they need. So career progression is something that comes up and, and managing the difficulties of, of life, whether or not that's something that happens on the job, the difficulties of a, a particularly hard shift, and giving them support, giving them mental health, wellness resources. It's something that we find people really respond to. It's really engaging. We've had tremendous uptake in some of our recent offerings around mental health. And in terms of the global impact of that, um, again, the evidence shows that mental health is a challenge for healthcare workers across the globe. Is this something that you're focusing on particular markets initially, or is it going to be a more global offering? It's going to be a more global offering. We're starting for localization purposes in, in the UK because we feel like there's a fantastic opportunity here and then are going to be looking to expand elsewhere. And you talked about one of the key um, drivers uh, and missions for the business uh, is to give healthcare workers true agency mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their career development, wherever they may be. Can you expand upon that? Because that's quite an important element in terms of the culture that you're trying to um, support. We, we know it's not always easy for there to be a mapped career path especially when you're moving between contexts, I mean, you know, a home care situation and a hospital situation. What we're trying to do is bring those things together and make it really clear to people that if you want to get involved in care, if you have the passion for this, we're going to make it as simple as possible for you to get where you want to go, tell you what the options could be and make it personalized to you. It has to be specific to people. The other thing that I'm keeping an eye on is I think we're going to go through a really radical change in the entirety of the workforce, the global workforce in developed countries over the next decade as a result of AI. Hmm. And jobs that get replaced or get changed as a result of being really manual or really repetitive uh, from an intellectual standpoint. And care, fortunately, is, is probably the last thing <laughs> where there's going to be those sorts of things. Something I hear from, from everyone in care is they're, one of their favorite parts about the job is that every day is different. Hmm. And we are 
from computer standpoint, a long way away from replacing the heterogeneity of tasks that a care worker might do in the span of minutes. You might be focused on helping someone wash up, making a meal, and, and then just talking to them, mm-hmm. have, making them feel heard. We are not doing that with computers anytime soon. And the empathy angle and all of that is just really difficult to replace. I want to make sure that we can help get as many people as possible that are going to be displaced over the course of the next decade into careers in care, make it easy and engaging for them, help them understand how important these roles are, and again, have them do that without a financial burden. It's a breathtaking vision. Now, looking at technology, the role of machine learning, AI, genomics, and this has been um, a topic for discussion here in in the UK as it has globally. The Topol Review in 2019 um, highlighted the need to train healthcare workers in all of these technologies in order to deliver better patient care. Where is is that part of the training that you envisage providing to uh, anyone who wants to uh, use the FutureU platform? Absolutely. And we've only been out of beta for a few weeks and have already had about a 30% growth in our number of users. Pretty incredible. One of the things that people seem to love is the technological upskilling and meeting people where they are, but then helping them understand this is what you have to do to, to get to a level of technical fluency that'll help you focus on the things that you like most about this job, interacting with, with people. And the things that you may not like the most, the technical fluency things, learning new systems, make it really easy for them to get up to speed on those. So it's a question of actually displacing some fear that is actually in the narrative around the possibility of AI's disruption to the workplace. Um, you're seeing that really is an opportunity for people who do find that impacting them. It's a pathway to a different career, health and social care. Absolutely. And I wanted to talk about the democratization piece. I think as part of the work that you're doing, there are, of course, in all systems of training um, and assessment biases, etc. Mm-hmm. And that idea of being able to reduce or ideally eliminate bias opens up far more uh, in terms of allowing people to be included who perhaps some groups have been disadvantaged. The bias thing is something that's really up top of mind for me. And that's part of why, like I mentioned before, we want to be using AI models that are available, for, that are transparent, that are auditable, so we can understand why are we making these assessments and make sure that they're uh, limiting bias as much as possible or that we're encouraging the right kinds of behaviors. Something that I like also about the potential positive impacts that technology can have is it can be really consistent. We can ensure that everyone gets the same training experience and everyone doesn't necessarily need the same training experience so much as they need a path for themselves to mastery of certain types of skills. And being able to do that consistently, but give what you need, give what someone else needs to help get you to a place where you're really capable in your job. That's what I'm most excited about with technology. Just as a final point, to look a little bit into the future, not too far, because I I think that's impossible. Where can this lead? I mean, there's enormous uh, discussion around the potential for AI, um, metaverses. You've alluded to it a little. Do you have a bit of a handle of what what this could look like in a few years' time? Yeah. The future is coming faster than you think. The biggest thing that I'm really excited about and, and that I've heard from a lot of nurses and carers is, is the best learning that you get is training on the job. But it's kind of random. It depends on who's on the shift that day and what happens and how you see how they interact with care recipients, how they interact with the staff, how they get to good outcomes. Well, we know that people with 30 years of experience are, are leaving care. You're not going to replace a nurse 
that's been working in perioperative care for 30 years in you know a weekend. Being able to then democratize and flatten the ability for people around the world to access those, those subject matter experts, those people that really and truly understand how to deliver fantastic care in a metaversal university, if you will, that's what I'm excited about where I think this is going to go. And what that means is the people that understand the most, that have the most to give, we can find a way for everyone in the world to access synchronously or asynchronously those virtual shifts where they go through and they understand this is how this expert from one place might do it. This is how someone else from another place might do it. And then as a result, just really build this community that understands the best practices, understands the different nuances, understands the cultural sensitivities to providing fantastic care for people. So a disruptive technology can, that can democratize. Absolutely. Uh, it's a fabulous and inspiring vision. It'll be interesting to see uh, how the story unfolds. But for today, uh, Michael Manucha, thank you very much for your time and uh, your insights. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about how we are enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you very much and goodbye.